developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Billions of people have vision problems, and vision is more than 2020. Vision Beyond Sight will help you see with clarity and gain courage and confidence. Your vision does not define you. You define your vision. With Dr. Lin's new way to look at your life through a new lens, you will be ready to meet yourself and receive visualizations for miracles to come. Welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. friends, this is Dr. Lynn, and welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Today visiting with us is my dear friend, Dr. Jen Simonson. Dr. Simonson's truly an amazing person, as you'll quickly see her power, her passion, and creativity. Today, it's all about fun. We're going to talk about visual development and some of the games that you as parents can play to help your child develop. But before we get started, let's talk a little bit about Dr. Simonson. Jen Simonson is the clinical director of the Boulder Vision Therapy Center in Boulder, Colorado. She attended the Ohio State University for both an undergraduate degree in biology and her doctorate in optometry. Dr. Simonson knew she wanted to specialize in vision development and rehab after completing vision therapy for a crossed eye in college. She has completed many optometry mission trips to Honduras, the Dominion, uh, Dominion, Dominican Republic, and she volunteers for Special Olympics and Bonds Vision Charity. Dr. Simonson completed her fellowship in COVD, the College of Optometrists in Vision Development, in 2006, and she was awarded the Colorado Young Optometrist of the Year in 2007. She currently is serving as the vice chair of the International Exam and Certification Board of COVD, and is a speaker chair of the Colorado Vision Training Conference. So you can see she's very involved in many of our great organizations. Her primary interest is in practicing with pediatric vision care, vision therapy, sports vision, and vision rehabilitation. She's created some wonderful children's uh, books about vision and vision therapy, and has written several chapters in optometry and uh, other books. So welcome, Dr. Jen Simonson. Great to have you here today. Thank you so much for the invitation. Okay, well, let's get started. You know, why did you become a developmental optometrist? I mean, what is a developmental optometrist, and why did that really interest you? So I was in physics in college and one of my physics partners said, hey, I'm going to optometry school. I think when you graduate, you should take my job. And so I'm like, well, that sounds interesting. And so I applied at professional vision care in um, Columbus, Ohio, and had no idea about vision therapy. But as part of that, they did an eye exam on me and I failed. I absolutely failed all of the tests. I had um, gotten stronger and stronger glasses throughout um, high school and college. And, um, you know, really, they were like, how do you 
function at school. And I said, you know, I just always sit in the front right side. I only look with my left eye. I do all these accommodations for uh, my vision. And they said, you're not supposed to have to work so hard to see things. So they put me right into therapy um, right away. And I loved it. I love learning how to see 3D. Um, And it was, you know, me as a college, you know, graduate and a lot of other kids where they had detected that problem a lot younger. And so it was a lot easier to remediate. And so I, you know, really thought, hey, early intervention, so they didn't have to work twice so hard as I did, is definitely the way to go. Well, talk about learning the hard way. Here you are. You made it all the way through school to college. And nobody had really picked up your vision problem. Is that yes. correct? And yes. were you so, a good reader? I mean, did you have symptoms, avoidance? How did you get through school so well? I sat in the front right side of the classroom so that nothing was in front of my right eye. The entire world was to my left <laughs> side. So that was my first strategy. And I just figured if it was far away, it was too far away. You weren't supposed to see things that were too far away. Um, and so I also, you know, had some head tilts um, so that it was easier to block my right eye and just use my left. Um, so it's amazing. We, we really work hard to function. And when we make it easier to function, it's just so much uh, more fun to learn and less time consuming to learn. And so I really benefited personally. And then I'm very passionate because of that. I certainly can understand that. So from there, did you go right into optometry school and with, with the goal of becoming a developmental optometrist? So I was lucky that I got to work as a vision therapist for a year before I applied to optometry school um, and just knew that was a direction I wanted to go into. And so when I went to optometry school, I actually applied to work, work study in the binocular vision and pediatrics lab. Um, and so I got to have, you know, more than typical first years, um, a lot of exposure to those patients and to that clinical care. And then I also worked as a research assistant uh, for a big research study called the Convergence Insufficiency Treatment Trial um, as an assistant for the research um, recruitment. So I got to have kind of a, a work experience as well as an academic experience in vision therapy during school. What a great opportunity you created for yourself and fell into, which is really nice. So you graduated and then, you know, what brought you to Colorado and talk about your practice a little bit? Sure. So I'm going to say the mountains and skiing and hiking are the big reasons I moved to Colorado. Um, I have three sons and my husband and I really enjoy all of the outdoor activities that Colorado has to provide and just that lifestyle. Um, but really, for my professional career, it was to join a practice called Highline Vision Center, which had a huge vision therapy program. And so while my time there, um, I got my fellowship in COVD. I got great exposure to working with vision therapists and other doctors that were functional and behavioral and rehabilitation-minded. Um, so not just here's some glasses. It's here's really ways to help your eyes track and focus and see depth perception and regain that eye-hand coordination and those visual skills for processing and remembering what you read. Um, And so they were just a great influence. And then I moved to Boulder and um, have the most wonderful mentor in Dr. Roger Dowis. He started my practice in 1976. I purchased it in 2008. So the fact that he's still around and still someone I can 
you know, consult with is just amazing. We have the best kind of mentor-mentee relationship. Isn't that great? And and you do have just a thriving practice in Boulder. And I see because we are Facebook friends that you are living your dream of being outdoors and hiking and mountaineering and and skiing because I see you and your family almost every weekend out somewhere having fun, which is great. Uh, But your boys, as much as they love being active and outdoors, also have really impacted your approach to working with patients. Explain how that happen and what what they have done for your practice? Sure. So um, my boys happen to be very related to me. So that means my eye turn kind of got passed down, uh, down the generation. So we knew what to look for really young. My oldest son is now 16. Um, He actually does not even need lenses uh, to see clearly, which is just incredible with our genetics. But he had some challenges uh, with reading when he was in elementary school. And so he actually got put in reading glasses because when he would read and focus up close, his eyes would cross a little bit. We call that convergence excess. My middle kiddo had a much more severe case. His eye actually would turn or cross in. And especially when we would go to the pediatrician, the pediatrician's like, um, <laughs> do you see that eye turn? And I said, yes, I do. <laughs> um, but it is able to pull straight some of the time. And we're working on some things to help that coordination and development. So he started vision therapy as an infant. And so to go through uh, vision therapy and a real program of developing vision from the onset um, is just you know, such a different experience from a parent standpoint, but it really let me be creative and see what works for different ages as we go through uh, development. And then my youngest so far is my only straight kiddo. <laughs> He's really had no trouble of uh, seeing depth perception and coordination, but you know what? He got to come to vision therapy with his older brother, and we just kind of did those same developmental things with him and kept him on the right track. So um, different kind of visual challenges with all three but early intervention and just very successful. Well, you certainly have a living lab at home. So that's what that's what drives the passion and the importance. When you see the visual problems, you see how it totally impacts a patient being your own kids. And then you uh, nobody has to tell you the importance of getting appropriate treatment. So tell our listeners, you know, what types of patients are often referred to your practice. Um, Certainly those patients with crossed eyes like you talked about, but what other kinds of patients? Yeah, so I actually get quite a few referrals from physical therapists who are working on a head tilt, which we sometimes call torticollis. And it means that the head or the neck is kind of bent towards the shoulder. And so sometimes we have a vision issue where one eye might be higher than the other, and they're trying to rule that out. So even with infants, I might be referred um, those type of patients from a physical therapist. I usually start seeing babies at about six months of age um, Mm -hmm. through the infant C program. And um, I also see a lot of um, kids who are non-neurotypical, so their development is kind of on a different course. They might have autism. They might have some other genetic disorders. Um, I also see quite a few injury patients. And so we have a a wonderful concussion clinic in Boulder, Colorado, at the University of Colorado at CU. And so I work a lot with their PTs, OTs, uh, the physicians on site when there's visual symptoms um, post-concussion or um, post-injury. So we really see all ages. 
Um, my older patients are typically post-stroke um, that we have some rehabilitation to regain that functional skill. So full gamut of ages. Um, it always makes your day really interesting kind of being a detective and finding out what pieces and parts are working well and where the challenges are and how to really help them meet their goals. And so clinically, I always have you know, goals of how much we should focus and track and how fast we should process what we see. But ultimately, it's all about helping our patients function better. And so their goals are at the top of the list. Which is really great. So I hope some of the, uh, our listeners who may not be as familiar with vision therapy, uh, what would your program look like if you were explaining it uh, to a patient? What does it look like, length of time, kinds of activities? Let's uh, kind of drill down a little bit on, on your vision therapy. Absolutely. So, and I think it's changed and, um, you know, updated uh, throughout our knowledge of learning more about how the brain develops and heals and works. Um, so it's kind of always that work in process to make sure we're putting things in an appropriate sequence of procedures and levels. Um, the way that we organize our therapy sessions is we kind of break it into four categories. That means we're doing exercises, something with tracking, getting our eyes to move accurately and quickly and moving together. Um, we're going to do something that works on our focusing system so that we can see nice and clear and adjust that eyes comfortably. We're going to do something with 3D binocular vision or two-eye coordinated vision. Um, that means we do lots of different computer games and use different 3D tools to develop that depth. And then we're going to do something in motor or perceptual processing. So we're not just learning how to see sitting in a chair. We're learning how to see even if we're playing a sport or driving a car. And so we really want it to be we're working on all of those different systems so that everything integrates and becomes where everything coordinates together and becomes just more automatic. So we really do kind of progress from where they are to where we want them to be. On average, our therapy patients are in therapy about 30 sessions, so about eight months length of time. And it's not where we say, here, see if vision therapy works. It's where we actually have testing for the initial uh, intro into therapy, where we're getting a baseline of our visual skills and functions. And then we do progress checks about every 10 sessions. So that way I can modify the program. If they're making faster progress, we move them through quicker. If they're having some challenges or setbacks, we can make sure things are at a challenge level, but not a frustration level. So depending on the diagnosis, it may take longer or even shorter. And your patients work individually with uh, one of your therapists one-on-one, -on -one, is that correct? That's correct. We do one-on-one -on -one vision therapy, um, so everything is customized to that patient. Which is great. Uh, I don't know if you've had a chance or your family's had a chance to see the new Avatar uh, 3D movie. Have you seen that one yet? I have. <laughs> and, any kind of and how like was that, that you for see you? A 3D is amazing. So, so I remember when the, you know the first Avatar came out, and I remember... I don't know how long of that go, how long ago that was, but so many people were complaining of headaches and and they couldn't keep the glasses on and and it really opened the world up to understanding the importance of eye coordination and using both eyes together. And there were articles about the problems like you're talking, Jen, crossed eyes or convergence excess, that it was very difficult to watch that movie if you didn't have good visual skills. Tell me how this new avatar is for you. Uh, now that you've had therapy and the technology's improved? 
So I um, will say that even I was concerned about the length of the film, of being able to see 3D and sustain that for that length of time. I also picked a theater where you can select the seats ahead of time, so I wasn't off on a corner. I was actually more central in the theater and not too close to the screen. So when you have that chance where you can kind of optimize your viewing experience, it's really lovely because it is more challenging for our eyes or our head to turn for that length of time. My experience was wonderful. I thought the water scenes were stunningly gorgeous and just so, so incredible. So I was just, I think, in a sense of wonder and amazement and very comfortable visually, which is incredible um, with my history. That is incredible. How'd your uh, boys do along with that? They did great. They really did fine. They all liked it. Um, I think part of it is the the visual experience of it was just so amazing. Um, and then I think just even the storyline and the meaning kind of both with the cultural part of it, of moving in with a new culture and, and having that family dynamics experience, um, and then just kind of that global protect our planet, you know, type of mindset uh, really resonated with them. Yeah, the story was very interesting, but I could not believe the stereo, the beauty of the, um, especially underwater scenes. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've had visual problems as well. And it was totally comfortable for me to keep the glasses on and uh, really appreciate the depth. So I also know um, the technology has gotten a lot better since the first Avatar. Do you remember how long ago that was? Was that like 10, 10 years plus? I, I'm thinking so. Now, I will say one thing interesting is that I got to work with someone in the movie industry that had some questions about depth perception. And so one of the things that they had really done initially is kind of that wow factor of making things pop out really close to you. And that's not comfortable to sustain or to switch back and forth really fast. And so they actually now have that as part of the script where how much 3D and then your eyes get a little break where it might be your 3D is far away instead of popping out close. And so it's part now of the plan of the film is to really give your eyes some visual rest breaks and then some more intense experiences and then a rest break. So I love that there's now that intent to really make it a good experience and uh, make that 3D part very intentionally designed so that you maximize it. You don't get tired of it. It's where it's really, you know, um, an experience. Well, thank you for that insight. That's that's interesting. And that should carry over to our real lives in that taking breaks is important and giving your binocular system a rest is important. You can you can tell that if movie in, industry has um, decided to do something about it, then it, it must be really important because they don't they don't want to exclude any um, viewers or get known. Like the first Avatar, a lot of people would say, I'm not going, it's going to hurt my eyes. So that's really interesting that you you uh, know that feedback and they've made some adjustments in that area. And I do think that's ideal because if people have negative experiences, they share those negative experiences. And if they have a positive experience, then people are more likely to say, okay, I'll try it um, and see what that experience is like. Now, I will say some of my vision therapy patients that's actually their goal is to see a certain number of 3D movies in a year because they're so excited to have developed that skill. 
And of course, I count that as vision therapy. They're doing training in real-time, real-space social experiences where their eyes have to coordinate and be in depth. So um, I think that's one of the more fun homework projects is to watch 3D movies. Yeah, I'm sure parents love that. Go home and go to your 3D movie. Uh, can you yep. just speak, and we only have a, uh, about a minute before our break, but how successful are, I mean, your patients that have cross and lazy eyes, and we can address this after well after the break as well, but do all of these patients that have a crossed eye end up being able to get that depth in a 3D movie? You know, I can't always guarantee 100% success, but because of my personal experience, I'm always willing to try to improve function, and sometimes that's not their highest goal. Maybe it is that they can read faster or comprehend what they read or not lose place on tracking. So really knowing what their goals are is where we're going to work to hit those goals, and if it is to see in-depth perception, that's what we're going to work towards. And that's a great way to put it because uh, it is very true that... um, more often than not, unless it's a significant eye turn that's really cosmetic, which sometimes it is, but sometimes it's intermittent intermittent, or it's not severe. And so the goals of what the treatment for is critical because we've had patients that have had actually um, paresis and, and they'll never get an eye straight, but that's not their goal. Their goal could be to read better, to catch a ball, to tie, uh, to drive more safely. So that's a really important piece of our therapy is make sure our goals and the patients and parents' goals are in alignment. Well, we're going to take a break here in just a second. And when we get back, we're going to talk about all the fun books you've written and and games you use. And so uh, please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Dr. Lynn will be right back after this. Discover the power of the seeing brain the creator of your true vision. Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's number one bestseller book, Expand Your Vision, helps you see with clarity and gain courage and confidence. Remove roadblocks and visualize your new lens to see and experience your world. Get Expand Your Vision on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Vision Beyond Sight will help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Join Dr. Lynn each week for a new exciting episode, Vision Beyond Sight.
Can your child organize, really organize? Parents and teachers will have practical step-by-step strategies and templates to help get their children organized with Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's Organize It workbook. Increased organizational skills create success and confidence in school, sports, and life. Get Organize It on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Welcome back to Vision Beyond Sight. Here's Dr. Lynn. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. And today we have Dr. Jen Simonson, who is a wonderful developmental optometrist in Boulder, Colorado. We've been talking about vision therapy, developmental vision, crossed eyes. And now we're going to move into a lot of the fun treatment that um, parents and educators could start doing on their own. And you know, we're going to be suggesting a lot of games and the games aren't designed to necessarily cure or fix vision problems, but games are designed to really help visual processing. Those are the games that we're going to talk about to help visual and or motor processing. In addition, Jen has been very creative and incorporates a lot of very cool technology into her practice. I know when I started like over 40 years ago, we had basic lenses, prisms, red-green glasses, strings and beads, and that was vision therapy. And we got great results, but it just wasn't nearly as fun as it is now with all the cool technology we can use in the practice. So let's start with some of the uh, the very interesting technology that either you've developed and included in your practice. So I think that's the biggest innovations is utilization of technology. And I have kind of mixed feelings, right? Our school day, our academic demands, our work day are on computers, are on iPads, are on you know laptops. And so that is not an ideal visual experience. It's staring at the same distance for a prolonged period of time. And a lot of people experience digital eye strain. So we don't just do vision therapy on a computer. We really want to do things as much as possible in real space, interacting with items like we call manipulative blocks and just different toys. Um, However, they allow us to really control what each eye sees and we can make enhanced vision on one eye and poor vision on the other eye until they match. So we use a lot of virtual reality in our vision therapy, and that is sometimes the first place that people do see in 3D because it does pop out so much more than our tests do in the exam. And so we really utilize some specific software for vision therapy. Um, That includes Optics Trainer VR and Vivid Vision. Um, We also use a computer that actually is controlled by your eyes, um, where you have to kind of uh, look at the targets and it matches where your eyes are looking. So utilizing that type of technology, you can really tell it's vision therapy uh, because it's all eye dependent. And some of those are really great and fun, but I'm sure you caution many of your patients and parents that when they just see something online and they try to get it, some game or technology, you just never know if that's the right, appropriate uh, technology for your child or, or yourself, how to use it if you need lenses. So we always caution parents not just to run out 
and look on the internet for some type of virtual reality or eye game without really having a thorough vision evaluation to understand what the visual uh, issues are and if those types of technology are going to be helpful or maybe harmful. Would you agree on that? Absolutely. And I think when we're looking at harmful, we can cause headaches and dizziness and nausea and double vision if we're using tools inappropriately or expecting them to do more than they absolutely are intended to do. And so you need some guidance so that you're at an appropriate level and developing things in the ideal kind of functional way. Right. Thank you on that. Um, So let's move now into some of the games. And I know you've written some great uh, articles and checklists on games that you can actually get online at toy stores, things like that, that can really help your child process better. And uh, some of the games are just fun, but a lot of them really have very specific purpose and uh, in working in certain visual processing skills. So start telling us some of the games you like to use and, and what areas of processing that it may be helpful for. Absolutely. So I'm going to share some of the newer games that are out that we really incorporated into our therapy program. Um, The first one is called CLACK, C-L-A-C-K with an exclamation point. And that CLACK game is basically these tiles that are circular and they have pictures on them that are different colors. And when you're picking those up, they're magnetic. So when you stack them, they make a satisfying CLACK sound. So there is a bunch of visual processing in order to play the game clack. What you do is you roll a dice. One of the dice is the color. The other dice is the shape. So I have the game in front of me and I see a yellow circle and a star shape. And that means I have to scan with my eyes, which involves some tracking. And I have to discriminate or see what is the same as what I'm looking for and what is different and tell same and different. And so I might see a red star, that's not what I'm looking for, or a yellow star, and that's the tile I'm going to pick up and clack together. And so there is um, where the pictures might be upside down or sideways. And so even if we're seeing it in different orientation, we have to be able to recognize that form in different orientations. Um, We also have to um, be fast. And so when we look at reaction time, we want to see it quickly. And then we want to tell our hand where to go out and reach. So there's an eye-hand coordination piece to it as well. So that's a great game. And if you'll just share the importance of developing the tracking, the uh, automaticity, the colors, the shapes, the form, Higher level learning, what what higher level learning is really dependent on those types of skills? So we actually use those skills all of the time, um, especially when we're learning how to read. That requires us to track and discriminate one word from the other. Um, It also helps just in our day-to-day life. If someone says, hey, go to the closet and pull out the blue pair of tennis shoes. Well, you have a bunch of tennis shoes you have to sort through, and you have to be able to sort and see what you're actually looking for with this cluttered background, which we call form, um, sorry, figure ground kind of visual skills. Um, And then when we are, um, you know, reading, we have to tell if a word is an exact match to what we're 
seeing? Are we seeing fight or flight or fright? Well, those words look very similar, but they mean very different things. And so we want to really make sure we see all of the details so that we're identifying that correctly. Yeah, and that's a great explanation because a lot of parents wonder why preschools, even kindergarten, are playing, quote, games instead of teaching their kids to read. And Mm -hmm. what you're looking at is how can we build the foundation in processing and motor skills and eye movement skills? How can we build a strong foundation so that then they're going to be ready and be successful at reading, writing, and, and other things? And I think part of it, too, is that we learn by play at this age. And so when we try to use kind of more adult concepts for teaching, it doesn't match where they are developmentally. But even adults, we can learn by play. And so when you make it fun and you make it challenging, you make new brain connections or you reinforce those to be stronger and faster connections. And so really, sometimes even with our rehabilitation adult patients, we'll go back and play these games, and they're so amazed it's challenging for them. That used to be easy. And so when they regain that skill, they can really see their performance change on a very steep learning curve, and they gain a lot more confidence. But they had fun doing it instead of frustration doing it. I love that, Jen. You know, one of my intentions for the year, I make yearly intentions, not goals, but intentions, ways of being in life, is fun. And we really learned that um, several years ago. My therapist and I uh, were invited to speak in in Spain to the optometrist there. And we believe in fun and we're laughing and joking and messing around. But that's how I believe learning takes place. And we got so many questions about, wow, you can have fun when you're doing, you know, like a medical treatment. And the absolute answer is yes. When it's fun, learning really has a chance to take place. When it's stressful, there's anxiety. Sometimes you don't even get your concept through. So so the goal of our therapy is to really help transform people's vision and their lives. And I like to add with and through fun. And so, uh, so a lot of times it looks like the kids are just playing, and they are, but that is really how the brain's developing emotionally, physically, uh, in all different realms. So, so I love that you bring in the fun concept. Let's talk about another game. Clack's only one of the many games you, you use. Exactly. So another one that's very popular is called Spot It. Um, in other countries, it's called Dobble. And there are some other versions like Emojinx and things like that. And so depending on the pictures on the cards is depending on the challenge. So they do have preschool levels. They do have like fun, let's say Harry Potter themed. Um, the Emojinx one I think is the most challenging because the faces are so very similar. So your ability to discriminate if it's the right eye winking versus the left eye winking is much more challenging than if they're entirely different shapes. And so... In vision therapy world, we can play it the way that the game says to play, or we can modify it. And so that's one of the things, too, that I see is extrinsic challenge, like I'm challenging you to do this, you know, is where they have to perform for you. And that sometimes brings about some stress, um, and that's not a learning experience. And so sometimes it's you come up with an idea, you come up with a challenge, and they're always going to pick something harder than I would. 
um, because that's intrinsic. They want to figure out a new way to do it. And so, for example, we might play this game where we have nine cards in a grid, so three across and three up and down, and we're looking for a tic-tac-toe. Can I find three of the same picture in a row? Now, what that does for me clinically is I get them tracking, like I want their eyes to track because they're going back and forth and comparing, you know, those images back and forth. Um, and so I can get the repetitions without it being boring to do repetitions. So we can have these strategies. Um, we can also add lenses and prisms. So we're doing some of that mechanical work with the eye muscles. But their focus or their intention is actually on the game. So they're trying to find those matches. So we can make that fun. But those are all easy to find, even at, you know, your your normal stores. Um, all of these you can order online as well. Um, but I really enjoy um, those, those uh, spot it. Anytime it says spot it, you know it's a visual task. Yes. And I know my, my whole family plays that. And what's fun is you can include kids at a very early age, you know, four or five years old, sometimes even three they can play and you can make it, you know, this is the key, how you can load the activity, make it more difficult and challenging, make it easier. So you can have one game that can really fit lots of different ages and lots of different tasks um, and just have fun together on that. Yep. We love that game. Spotted. Great. How about um, one more? Another one I thought I'd go ahead. Yes, go ahead. And, oh, I was going to say, another one I'm going to bring up is one of our favorites in the clinic, and it's called North Pole Camouflage. It's by a company called Smart Games. And I will say I have some favorite companies that are very kind of developmentally minded. So Smart Games is on that list. A company called Mindware is on that list. And ThinkFun is on that list. In addition, Fat Brain Toys. Um, Melissa and Doug, which is kind of bringing back those classic toys, is also super high. So those companies have just done an amazing job of really kind of thinking about um, those visual skills, that processing, that age development. So back to North Pole Camouflage. What's neat about this game is it's a single player. So you can play it independently, and that means that there's a book of challenge cards. This is another way that we can make things appropriate for different ages or developmental stages is that there is a set of easier cards that are called beginner and then intermediate challenges and then expert level challenges. So even an adult, we might start them at a higher level um, or we might start lower so they gain confidence and build up to that expert level. With camouflage, we are trying to match a picture, which is an uh, Arctic scene. So we have icebergs and we have water. We may have some obstacles like a boat that we can't put our Arctic animals on. So we'll have Arctic things like orca whale or some fish or some polar bears. Now it's camouflage. We don't want to see them. We want them to be hidden. So that means a polar bear has to go on an iceberg and a fish has to go in the blue water. So it's their camouflage. So it's basically putting together the same puzzle. But every time you have to kind of change that puzzle solution so that the right piece goes into the right background, um, it's a really fun kind of puzzle or manipulation. But like I said, it's, it's really neat because you can make it at different levels for different patients. Well, that's that's another great game. And I know you have a whole list um, that if, you, uh, if you'd like to send it, we are happy to put it on the show notes as well. Uh, there's so many... 
I still love going to the old games, uh, add the new games, because people talk all about the computer games, which there's fun things. But again, you mentioned, you know, we, we try to keep kids off screens, not on screens. And so for fun game times, anything we can achieve without getting on the screen, we try. I know one of my all-time favorites, and this is an old game probably everybody listening has played, is Twister, you know, with the dots and remembering which is your left and right and being able to motor plan and look and and just laugh and have fun uh, trying to get your body in the right place at the right time. Um, And I know you have added things with metronomes. And so there's just so much creative ways to make learning fun. and, And that's really what we're talking about here. Uh, Jen, I want to make sure also you mentioned you've written four kids' books, which is quite an accomplishment. Tell us about those books and a little bit, uh, uh, you're going to read a little passage from one of them. Absolutely. So in 2016, I went to um, a training that's called the Sanit Vision Seminars, which is a five a trip course. It's a hundred hours of continuing education. And the wonderful part of that is I got to fly to San Diego five times and have some time on the plane. And during my time on the plane, I'm typically reading things like uh, catalogs and ordering supplies. And I saw so many books for parents, but no books for the kids uh, that were looking at doing vision therapy. And so I wanted to actually have something geared to the patient where they could understand what is going to happen and what to expect and what would vision therapy be like. And of course, it's a challenge to put those kind of medical concepts and testing into the level of a first grade story. So that was my challenge on that flight home was to actually say, what would I wanted to hear about or understand when I was a first or second grader? And what I found is that sometimes it's the grandparent that reads the book And uh, they're reading it, let's say, to a grandchild, and they're like, wait a second, I think this might be really important for my next-door neighbor. And so it's been like a tool that more people have learned about vision therapy, just more through the grapevine. So that's been probably my happiest thing, is that it's reaching the audience that it needs to. Um, The first one is called My Perfect Vision. The second book was called My Double Vision, which is my kind of experience. Then I wrote my jumbled vision, which is basically post-concussion, some things that uh, a little football player might experience if we get bunked in the head. Um, And then the most recent one is called my mismatched vision. And this one was really written because of a need personally, and that was I had so many patients where their eyes actually looked very straight, but one eye actually couldn't see very well. And a lot of times that's because the eyes don't have the same prescription, One eye might be really farsighted or have a high astigmatism, and so it just doesn't have that opportunity to develop clear, and that means you're only seeing with one eye. And so I'm going to read just a little bit that ties this all together, Um, and this is from my mismatched vision. And Jen, we just have a minute or so, so please uh, go ahead. Okay, my eyesight was perfect. Well, in my left eye, my right eye was blurry. I wasn't sure why. I saw an eye doctor. We played an eye game. He made the letters big and bold for me to name. Let's see. I worked on moving my eyes where I wanted them to go. My right eye had extra practice because it started out too slow. 
I did exercises to learn how to focus my right eye. I looked through different lenses and gave near and far games a try. I used fun glasses to make the pictures pop out in 3D. I had to match up both eyes to teach the right eye to see. I had lots of fun learning new puzzles and games. My reaction time improved and my eyes saw the same. Jen, that is so beautiful. Um, (laughs) We are out of time, but I encourage parents and teachers to really get your books to help kids understand what's going on and that they're okay and they can improve. I really thank you for all you're doing for your wonderful books you've written and for sharing yourself with us uh, this morning. Thank you so much. And know that uh, your contact information will be on the show notes. So thanks so very much. Love to you and your family. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today on Vision Beyond Sight. Join Dr. Lynn Hellerstein each week to help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Remember, your vision does not define you. You define your vision. For more information and find additional podcasts, visit lynnhellerstein.com. See you next time on Vision Beyond Sight.